Hello, it's Tuesday 30th of November. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bauman and I will be discussing all things Omicron as the new variant of concern starts to panic governments across the region. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So it's exactly 23 months since the world first learned about cases of suspected pneumonia in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Those cases became COVID-19, and we all know what happened next. This week, it feels like we have traveled full circle, as the Omicron variant, which was first scientifically identified in South Africa, sent the world into another COVID tailspin. In the past three days, we've seen a mixture of travel and flight bans, increased quarantine requirements, and in the case of Israel and Japan, and perhaps more to come, a retreat into total isolation from the world. So, Hannah, before we dive into the details, which we'll do in a moment, what were your first thoughts in recent days as news of Omicron started to filter out and then have really just dominated the global agenda? It's here we go again, isn't it? <laughs> it's really here we go again. Um, you know, we, we had the first original COVID, <laughs> we had Delta, and now certainly there's just this fear of Omicron. And I think particularly Southeast Asia has seen the damage that a variant of concern can do to the economy, certainly to the tourism industry too. You know, sitting as a tourism stakeholder, just as things were starting to pick up, just as there was light at the end of the tunnel, that's all thrown up into the air, isn't it? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly those. I think that gradual momentum that we've, we've been documenting, we've been talking about, and we've all been hoping for, for many, many months was starting to happen. We were starting to see Southeast Asia easing towards reopening. We were starting to see travel flows um, developing again, albeit gradually. We weren't expecting this to happen overnight. But yeah, certainly when when news of Omicron dropped um, and the seriousness with which the way WHO, first of all, talked about it and the response, the, the immediate response of governments, not just here in Southeast Asia, but around the world, yeah, suggests that this is, is something pretty serious that we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to deal for the months to come. Um, but before we delve into the details and the what what is becoming something uh, uh, that we hoped would never happen, let's start on a good news item, Hannah. We have had some good news this week, haven't we? And that involves Singapore and Malaysia. Yeah, absolutely. So this really dominated the local news here and in Singapore yesterday. But this was the reopening finally of not only the air vaccinated travel lane between. Um, Singapore and Kuala Lumpur, but also the land VTL as well. So, of course, going across that causeway uh, between Johor State, which is the southernmost state in Malaysia, and Singapore. You know, of course, you've seen all these photos and videos now of families being reunited because for many, many Malaysians, they have been stuck in Singapore, really, um, unable to come back to Malaysia. They've had children, <laughs> their lives have gone on. And this is really the first time for them to be able to come back without a really cumbersome quarantine process and be reunited with their families. And not only that, but of course, yesterday, the two prime ministers also met the, the Malaysian prime minister and the Singaporean prime minister. Um, and they're talking about reopening um, this VTL to general travellers as well for the land border, because right now the land border is primarily geared towards um, workers who have been stuck in 
one another's countries, and even a sea vaccinated travel lane, so taking them over to um, the Zaru coast as well. So lots of good news, at least something <laughs> to, to keep us going, right, Gary? Yeah, it was, it was good to see that these two countries obviously have so many links, societal, economic, and as you said, you know, family and friends living in, in different, in each other's countries, uh, being able to reconnect, that, that was very, very important. It did also highlight, you know, the fact that you did mention that the two prime ministers uh, were obviously a forefront of this reopening. And that, again, I think just highlights just how politicized travel and tourism and border reopenings have become. If we, if we turn back the clock to the beginning of July, for example, the beginning of the Phuket sandbox, the, the Thai prime minister was at the airport when the first arrivals came came into Thailand. Now we have the, the Singapore and the Malaysian prime ministers welcoming uh, these new VTLs. I guess this is the new reality that we have to deal with, isn't it? The politicization of travel is, is probably here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. So now that that's the good news over, <laughs> let's get back to Omicron. Um, so, Gary, take us through what we know so far. Um, and things are moving extremely fast in the region, aren't they? And, and worldwide in general. Yeah, I think that's the point, is that things have moved so fast. And I think that's why the fear factor has returned, is that the WHO, the World Health Organization, said on the 26th of November, so that's what, that's only four days ago, the first known specimen of this new variant of concern was actually collected on the 9th of November in South Africa. And it was first reported by the South African scientific authorities on the 24th of November. So that's less than a week ago. The WHO said that this variant has a large number of mutations, some of which are concerning. Preliminary evidence suggests that an evidence of the the increased risk of reinfection with this variant uh, is compared to other variants of concern. Uh, Immediately, a number of scientific studies are underway around the world to evaluate and sequence this variant. But of course, on the 26th of November, those very strong words from the WHO, which called this a variant of concern, and that really sparked governments, um, particularly initially in in Europe, such as the UK, into action. So on Friday, last Friday, we started to see European countries, as I mentioned there, the UK, banning flights from some Southern African nations. Uh, We'll come to those details in a moment. And then on Saturday and Sunday, that's when the world really started to enter into full panic mode. The WHO updated its stance to say that it was working on studies to ascertain whether the existing vaccines, tests and treatments that we have and which have been used around the world would be effective against Omicron. And then yesterday, the 29th of November, the WHO Director General started to get pretty serious in his words. He said that Omicron's very emergence is another reminder that although many of us might think that we are done with COVID-19, it is not done with us. We are living through a cycle of panic and neglect. Hard-won gains could vanish in an instant. He then made a plea for the more equitable distribution of vaccine, which the WHO is blaming for uh, the emergence of this new variant. He said that more than 80% of the world's vaccines have gone to G20 countries. Low-income countries, most of them in Africa, have received just 0.6% of all vaccines. There are 103 countries in the world that still have not reached the 40% vaccination target. And more than half of them are are at risk of missing that target by the end of 2021, mainly because they can't get access to the vaccines they need. And most of these countries are in Africa. The WHO added that the variant poses a very high risk. And you will have seen that on your TV shows around the world yesterday. That was pretty much the flashing headline. 
last night speaking on CNN, the CEO of Moderna, which produces one of the world's foremost vaccines, said Omicron is now maybe in 20 countries around the world, and we're counting individual cases, which feels very reminiscent to me of perhaps February or March of last year when we were starting to count cases. And obviously, we know how that played out. So I think all the evidence points to the fact that this is a very transmissible virus and one that we need to take very seriously. Uh, These are very stern warnings. As it currently stands, and this will no doubt change, Omicron cases have only actually been confirmed in two Asia-Pacific countries, Australia and Hong Kong. There are no recorded cases as yet in Southeast Asia. Um, We'll come to how governments in the region have reacted, but there are two clear impacts already emerging here, aren't there? One is the direct impact with new travel restrictions being put in place, making it more difficult to travel to and from other countries. And two, the indirect factor, which really is the return of this fear factor. Yeah, absolutely. As you've said, I, I think it really paints that picture of what this vaccine distribution, this unequal vaccine distribution has has done for the world. We saw that impact here with the Delta variant, didn't we, um, this year? Because Southeast Asia hadn't received the vaccines, it suffered more due to the Delta variant. This Omicron is, is, is going to be no different. It's going to impact those countries who are less vaccinated. And let's hope that the vaccines that the world currently has are effective against this variant, as everybody is going to suffer. It's... Uh, it's frustrating, I think, isn't it, this vaccine inequity? I think you're absolutely right. It's frustrating and it, it probably was very avoidable. I mean, this, this situation could have been avoided, as you said. Uh, if, we, if we turn the clock back, what, six, eight months to when the Delta variant caused such damage here and is still causing damage mm-hmm. in some cases uh, of Southeast Asia and Vietnam at the moment, particularly has a very high infection rate. But it was that lack of vaccine supply or very patchy supply of vaccines, which probably prolonged uh, some of the the infection outbreaks that we had in this region. Some of the countries in our region now have got on top of their vaccination status. They are moving towards booster vaccines. Malaysia is one of those countries, Cambodia, Singapore, for example. But it kind of seems obscene now when we see what's happening in Africa, that many countries around the world are are zooming ahead with, with booster vaccines when so many people worldwide haven't even had their first jab yet. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're right. I mean, those two main impacts that we are going to see, you know, these travel restrictions being put in place, and we'll talk in a minute about what's been put in place in Southeast Asia already, and this indirect the fear factor. And this is going to be really potent because we haven't for months and months and months, at least in Southeast Asia, um, seen these snap border closures, have we? Travellers were just starting to get comfortable with the idea of embarking on some kind of outbound travel. And now, seeing how quickly governments are responding, how fast, how willing they are to suddenly slam shut the borders, that makes the prospect of outbound travel a lot more worrisome. (laughs) People will definitely have a question mark about thinking, should I go on travel abroad or should I just stay here? I mean, you, Gary, yourself, you were planning to travel to the UK over the year-end holidays, right? Yep, at the moment, not too sure about that. You know, you, you made a good point there that, yeah, we, we are certainly going to see uh, cancellations. I think that's inevitable. And the impacts are sort of multi-layered because we are seeing some countries uh, shutting down to specific countries in, in southern Africa. We're starting to see European countries get put onto, onto red lists as well. Some of the airports, for example, the transit airports in the Middle East, so Dubai, Abu Dhabi, 
Qatar, Doha, you know, they're starting to put in restrictions as well. So it's going to be much more difficult to, to travel transcontinentally. But whether people will actually want to do that is, is something that we'll only really see over the next couple of weeks. It does seem that the full data, the full scientific data on this will start to emerge perhaps at the end of next week, maybe the beginning of the week after. Then the world will have a, clear, a clearer picture of just how dangerous this variant is. But and as I said at the beginning, I think the words of the WHO and the actions, as you said there, of, of governments so far in terms of retreating back away from travel, putting up the barriers again, that suggests that, you know, we could be in for another long haul here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, I think, the reaction of the governments that is making me very worried um, about this and wondering what, what they know that we, we don't know yet. So let's talk through what has been happening in terms of travel restrictions and reactions here in Southeast Asia then. So on Friday, so that's the 26th of November, Malaysia had announced an immediate temporary entry ban on foreigners from several Southern African countries who didn't have PR status or working visas here in Malaysia. And they also banned Malaysians from visiting several Southern African countries. So South Africa, Botswana, Eswatini, Lesotho, Mozambique, Namibia and Zimbabwe. This then continued over the weekend to other countries as well. Um, so we saw the Philippines backtrack. Last week, towards the end of last week, they had finally announced that they were going to reopen borders to green list fully vaccinated travellers from the 1st of December. Sunday evening, they went back on that decision. They've suspended that plan, as well as putting in a travel ban on these Southern African countries as well. Indonesia also has imposed a travel ban on eight African countries, has extended its quarantine as well for international travellers. Singapore, which was due to reopen three vaccinated travel lanes with Qatar, Saudi Arabia and UAE, then decided to defer those three specifically because, as Gary, as you were saying earlier, these are kind of transit hubs and quite popular transit hubs for these Southern African countries too. Um, and they also beefed up the requirements for the Malaysia-Singapore land border crossing as well. Um, Malaysian travellers or travellers coming back from Malaysia to Singapore using the land VTL would have to undergo an antigen test on arrival, whereas before they didn't. And the prime minister in Singapore also made a speech, didn't he, Gary, about Omicron? Yeah. And, and his words were both equivocal and unequivocal, really. He said, we're tracking this very carefully. We are not sure yet, but we may well be forced to take a few steps back again before we can take more steps forward. But despite all this, I'm confident that eventually we will find our way to living with the virus and safely resume all the things we do. That was Prime Minister Lee Hsien-Lung uh, speaking at the weekend. You know, again, this, this really calls into question this idea that we've been starting to come to terms with in Southeast Asia, slowly in different countries, this concept of endemicity, of living with COVID-19. Um, Singapore was at the forefront of this philosophically. And to be fair, it, it's tried to uphold its promise that it would live with the virus. Other countries in the region, Malaysia is one of those, has said that it also wants to, to follow this path um, because it's inevitable, because we have to accept that the virus is now with us for, for years and years to come. Um, but the response in terms of actually backtracking and actually shutting down some of the progress that's been made suggests that living with the virus doesn't actually mean always being progressive. It does mean, I, I, I'm afraid to say, that we are going to have to, as he says, take steps backward before we can go forwards. And you know, shutting borders down to African countries, is that really actually going to stop the spread of this, of this virus? If, if, if it was, as we su suspect, 
something between about two week lag between the first case actually being uh, the specimen being collected and it actually being reported to WHO and governments then actually starting to put in in place these these restrictions. Uh, it's traveled around the world, so it, it you know it's, it seems pretty likely Omicron is around the world right now. It's just a case of identifying the cases and isolating those. That's going to be a very very important part. Is we're going to have to go back to this track and trace uh, mechanism. This this perhaps even mini lockdowns, we don't really know right now. But the border closures at the moment don't really seem to me to make a great deal of sense if the virus has already travelled. No, I mean, and that's something, um, you know, I was watching uh, CNA yesterday and they had an advisor to the Philippines government um, and he was talking about this and he, he was talking about Philippines imposing travel restrictions ahead of the Delta um, variant as well. And he, what he was saying was, it's not a question of if the Omicron variant is going to enter the country, it's when. You know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. We've seen with Delta, you can close your borders, but it's still going to get in somehow. It's more about buying time. And I think I, I just get the feeling in Southeast Asia, they see, you know, things are slowly picking up. And we're getting to this end of year period, which is a really crucial period, um, you know, for the economy in terms of generating consumer sales, boosting tourism. And I just wonder if governments are just perhaps just trying to protect this time, at least they can get this revenue in, protect the country until the new year and then see what happens. But potentially this, this really has the, this could really knock all of that progress off track for, for the December year end holidays. I saw that interview as well, and he, he did make some extremely good points in the buying time. Uh, concept is valid, but you know why? Why is it only being African countries being singled out? You know there are a lot of cases in the UK now. Canada is is reporting more and more cases. Australia too. Um, some other countries. You know Hong Kong's response really is to close down to everybody. Japan's response is to close down to everybody. Uh, saw another interview on the BBC yesterday with a an immunology specialist from from one of the African countries. I think she might have been South African, but she's in the UK. And she said that the only real fair and equitable way to do this would be have a global travel ban for a month. Everybody shut down for a month and then see what happens. But singling out specific countries where the virus may have emanated, this has never really worked before, particularly when it's in other countries that are you know, allowing travelers to still to travel onward to other countries. So you know, as we found out at the very start of this process, viruses travel very, very quickly. They're very, very smart and they move. Uh, wherever people move. And a lot of people may be asymptomatic. Some of the cases that have already been identified among younger people in South Africa, a lot of those cases seem to be asymptomatic. So the spread of the virus isn't just from Africa now. That's where it, it may have started. That also is contentious. There are some suggestions that it might not actually have started in South Africa. But the fact that it's now a global virus means that all travel potentially at the moment carries the same risks. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's uh, very unfair to um, single out southern African countries. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at the Philippines, they have, I think they are one of the few countries within Southeast Asia who have added European countries to this list. Uh, so they've, they've banned entry from countries like Switzerland, uh, I think the Netherlands as well. I mean, I think some of that is also due to the increase in cases in some of these countries. Um, in general, not necessarily Omicron. But, you know, I, I wonder if there's that reluctance to do that here in Southeast Asia, simply because the European markets are their biggest source market. 
and they are just holding on and you know okay impose a ban on southern african countries doesn't really impact your your arrival numbers that's not a big source market for southeast asia but europe is and once you start putting travel bans on say the uk netherlands and so on you're going to really um shoot yourself in the foot for your your tourism um for the year end but like you said like this expert in uh, from south africa in the uk says maybe that's what it needs to do maybe we need this global travel ban and we've we've said before haven't we gary um you know right at the beginning of this <laughs> this pandemic if that's what the world had done at that point would we be in the mess we were now it, it's unclear to say so you know it, it's hard to say we don't have the the details of how virulent it is, how dangerous it is, maybe that would be an overreaction. But I can't see a global travel ban happening. Can you? No, no. no. I mean, the lack of integration so far on almost everything means that, that that won't happen. But I did think it was a pretty interesting suggestion. So let's look a little bit more closely at some of the other uh, responses by countries. As I mentioned there before, Japan has barred entry to all foreign visitors except those holding uh, entry visas. Hong Kong has further tightened what were among the most strictest entry rules in the world as well. Australia has delayed the reopening to international students and workers, which was planned from the 1st of December. That will now take place on the 15th of December, the very earliest, although the Australian cabinet is meeting today to discuss and form a new action plan. Some of the states that are already opening, including New South Wales and Victoria, are already talking about increasing isolation periods for overseas arrivals. Uh, That is certainly a retreat back to where we were before. But Thailand, I think, is quite interesting, Hannah. Their response is that they aren't really going to do anything yet. Yes. So the tourism and sports minister has said nobody wants another border closure as it was really difficult for us to reopen the country. Our economy still suffers from the crisis, so there will be no more border seals unless we are in a very critical situation. Yeah, it's it's an interesting reaction. And, you know, it is true they have worked very hard to get to the point where they are now and, and reopening. I just wonder if they might regret that decision um, later on because Thailand's vaccination rate in general is still fairly low in Southeast Asia, isn't it? It's a gamble. Yeah, it is. They, ha- they have backtracked on a couple of things, haven't they? They were, d- they were looking to move towards antigen testing for all arrivals uh, as opposed to PCR testing. It looks like they probably won't do that. I think that was going to start on the 16th of December. Um, but that's that's a relatively small measure, uh, and it was also the country was also looking to expand its list of 63 countries and territories which are permitted to enter uh, quarantine-free into Thailand. Uh, it looks as though that may not happen right now. But yeah, as you said, the, in terms of the overall policy, uh, that doesn't look as though it's going to change. Uh, but Cambodia has made a slight change to its policy. Yes, so it was saying that it wasn't going to ban any uh, southern African countries. And today it announced that it will ban flights from 10 African countries and also deny entry to anyone who has passed through those countries in the past three weeks as well. Um, so, I mean, again, we've seen Cambodia very recently reopen its borders travelers from all countries so they have they have not taken the thailand and singapore selective route they have reopened to everybody so they've, they've taken this decision perhaps a sensible one right now but as we say is it fair to only look at african countries should they be doing it to any country that has a variant let's see so what does this mean hannah what, what does this mean immediately we're moving we're moving into two of the region's primary travel periods the, the year end, Christmas and New Year, and then at the beginning of February, the, the Lunar New Year period. 
I think there was hope that perhaps maybe Christmas and New Year was coming a little bit too soon, but bookings were starting to look a little bit stronger for Lunar New Year. Uh, are we going to see mass cancellations? I think so. It's just coming down to what we were saying earlier, fear factor of, of borders closing and then the actual physical ability um, to travel. I think it's all going to come down to what happens in the next couple of weeks in terms of what we learn about this variant. Um, and perhaps, you know, if, if it turns out that the variant is fairly mild in terms of symptoms, even for the elderly or unvaccinated, perhaps these travellers will still go ahead with their plans. Um, and I, I think that we are seeing travellers get a certain level more of, uh, a bit more comfortable, I think, with that risk of COVID and travel um, just in general. But, you know, if, if vaccines are not effective versus this variant or it, it does prove to have quite a severe reaction, we're definitely going to see travel cancellations. And as we've seen with Delta, um, you know, variants of concern don't really disappear that quickly. And Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year is not that far away. This could really throw not only the year-end travel, but Chinese New Year travel too. Possibly even looking ahead to Songkran. April time for Thailand as well. Um, yeah, it's you know, like we keep saying, it's hard to say right now, but it doesn't look good right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's also the the once bitten twice shy rule as well that we start that we saw earlier in the pandemic is this fear that if you travel overseas and things do change quite quickly and travel restrictions change either in the country that you're traveling to or the country that you're returning back to. Uh, you know, you could get caught. You could get caught overseas. And I think that's going to linger in a lot of people's minds. Obviously, there's also the, the, the issue that you know, Thailand, for example, when it reopened at the beginning of November, put in place this, this procedure that if you were on a plane and somebody next to you uh, tested positive, even if you didn't test positive yourself, that you'd have to go into quarantine. It seems more likely that those kind of restrictions will be even stronger with, with this new variant. So, the issues of actually traveling just become much more difficult, um, even if you yourself don't get it actually exposed or you don't actually contract the virus yourself. There are so many other risks related to travel, and I think those are going to weigh quite heavily on people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you saw the news this morning, but I think a Singapore Airlines um, flight from South Africa actually has had that. The, the couple transited on, I think, to Australia, but um, everybody who was on that initial flight um, from South Africa to Singapore, who is in Singapore, have been told to self-isolate uh, for two weeks. Um, so we are going to see this more and more, uh, particularly until everybody really knows the, the implications. The other aspect that at the moment seems kind of up in the air is that a lot of countries, the UK has been leading this, Malaysia too, is this, this real drive to, to, for booster vaccinations to get people as vaccinated as they can be. But I, I guess that that's a kind of catch-22 at the moment without knowing whether vaccines that we currently have are actually going to be effective against this new variant. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. But I mean, even if they're not effective against the, the Omicron, at least we know that they are effective against the other ones which are still circulating. So I think governments are going to have to continue to, to push those. And of course, now there's a certain amount of booster hesitancy I think in some countries we've seen this in Malaysia where the older population are a little bit more hesitant because there's a lot of vaccine mixing right so perhaps if you've had Sinovac as a first vaccine you'll be offered uh, Pfizer or AstraZeneca as a, a second and people are a little bit more hesitant when it comes to mixing these vaccines so the government do have a, a challenge on their hands to convince them to get 
the booster jabs as well. Yeah. So as we sit here at the end of November, Hannah, we're one month away from the end of 2021. This is really what the, the world was hoping wouldn't happen, isn't it? This It's been talked about for, for a number of months that the real impact for 2022 would be a new variant, not just for travel and tourism, but but econ economies around the world. I, I think that's, you know, stock markets yesterday morning started to drop pretty quickly. Um, they, they, they sort of recovered a little bit during the rest of the day, but it's just this whole fear and uncertainty is back. It does, it does. I mean, the only the only interesting thing I can see that might come out of this, um, this is more towards source markets. And we, we've been talking about why Southeast Asia doesn't really try to, um, come out with agreements with Southeast Asia, although that has been starting to change now. I just wonder, Southeast Asia is now at a point where it is much more vaccinated um, than many European countries, like Cambodia are more vaccinated than the US even, um, for example. I wonder if Southeast Asian countries might start turning to each other now as source markets rather than these longer haul markets, if vaccines do prove to be effective against the Omicron variant. Will we start to see that focus instead? You know, um, people don't want to attract the European market because perhaps they're in the, the midst of a fourth wave. The Omicron variant might be rife there, but perhaps they might be a little bit more comfortable to open up to one another. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I certainly agree with that. I think if, if we don't see any cases of Omicron in Singapore or Malaysia, I can see that land border uh, vaccinated travel lane being ramped up pretty quickly, particularly ahead of the new year and particularly ahead of, of Chinese new year. I agree with that 100%. That would, it would make absolute sense. It would be an opportunity for, for both countries. Um, other countries in the region where it involves a flight, I'm still a less, less certain about how demand response would be on that given the current circumstances. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? For, at the beginning of this uh, pandemic, we were talking that travel would become much more regionalized, particularly here in ASEAN. And then that looked completely as though it was going the opposite direction. Most countries seem to be looking towards the long haul markets as they're reopening. But perhaps you're right. You know, perhaps this does come back um, to more local uh, opportunities for, for governments to to at least keep travel momentum flowing over the next few months. That, that, that's absolutely possible. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And listeners, let us know what you think as well. Uh, do, you, do you think travel is going to become more regionalized? <laughs> So that brings us to the end of this Omicron special edition of the show. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on what we discussed or anything we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show or Twitter at SEA Travel Show. Yeah, meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, www.theseasiatravelshow.com or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Podchaser, CastBox, Overcast, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. Just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each app. So that's a wrap for today. But Gary will be back on Friday with the fifth edition of our new weekly show, the SEA Travel News Show. We look forward to seeing you then.